We're at that time again. Here we go. Everyone, welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana, coming out of New York City, out of Hard Power Record Studio. Each and every week, we always host a very special guest. And this is with no, no exception. Got a great young French producer, DJ, remixer, and I just found out, controls a radio station, okay? He's done records that have rocked the dance floor. He's a, he is loved on track source, loved. They love his music. I've enjoyed his music playing it. I've gotten some great remixes over the time. He has pseudonyms as Barry and Gibb. And he's done other records that have made him like the John Michael record. John, I say Jean Michel, if I say it correctly. For my French friends, I hate to screw it up. And, you know, he was telling us about the beautiful Juno 106 that he's been making great bass lines with and working out of the last 10 years. But he's got some good, he's got some good, should I say, kilometers under his belt in the world of dance music. And when I mentioned to Seamus Haji last week in our last episode that we having Mark Lower on, he says, oh yeah, I like that guy, he's good. He's done a remix for us on Big Love or whatever it was. I remember he's so defective, I can't remember exactly word for word, but he did say he enjoyed having work alongside. So you do have a great reputation amongst us old folks. And I have to thank Karen for pushing you into the lineup because that's Karen's doing. Karen says, we must have Mark Lower. I says, I am all for it because my thing is, is to bring the new with the old intertwined together. I like to have old and I like to have new because new is also what we all strive to be like him because I am old, but I'm also new because today, I create a true house story show that is completely something that has been voided in our community. And I wanted to bring awareness to all of you about some of the artists that you follow and play their music. So I'd like to introduce all the way from, I think it's Lille, am I correct, Mr. Lower? It is. Lille, France. Lille, little small town, countryside, up, where they have wine, cheese, they, they, they eat. Bandu and make great records, as you say. Yes. Right. And it's very passionate up there. Because I love playing for the French people. French people are fantastic. Very good, very heartfelt, warm people. As far as, because I guess I'm coming as an artist. I'm not coming as a tourist. Tourist go, you don't speak our language. You <laughs> must speak French. No, when I speak, they're like, no, speak English. It's okay. I go, no, no, we, we, bonsoir. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like to say to you, please put your hands together for a warm welcome to Mark Loa. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for spending your time with us. I know you're supposed to be in New York next month. You were mentioning to us yeah. um, earlier. But before we get to the New York story and all that stuff, you know, I see a guitar and I see a keyboard and the first question everybody always loves what I ask is, we know you have a mom and you have a dad. Very important, because we know you are made. You are born. So from when you were a young man, young child, to growing up grade school, how does music find you or you find music? What was the 
ingredients to that? Well, the fun thing is that none of my parents were into music. I mean, not professionally anyway. Um, my mom's a um, um, heart surgery nurse. That makes sense. She's working in heart surgery. And my father is a hairdresser. So uh, there was just a lot of music going on in the house and in the car all the time. And so I grew up listening to a lot of music, both uh, French music and, and English music, basically. And um, I grew up mainly listening to Madonna's music because my mother was a huge, uh, she still is a huge Madonna fan. So um, I was born in 95. Um, and um, uh, one of my mother's favorite uh, Madonna record is Ray of Light. And it came out in, 80, uh, in 98. And so I grew up listening to Ray of Light, basically. So um, I am now a huge Madonna fan as well. and. Uh, there we go. Um, I got into music that way. And I basically love like any kind of music. Um, I'm interested in all kinds of music. I don't have a, a specific genre I'm, I like more, you know. I like to listen to anything. But what is your favorite music when you're not producing music? It's just like you're running around doing errands in the car, you know, driving around town. What are you listening to? Is it house music? What are you listening to? Uh, the fun thing is I don't listen to house music a lot when I'm not producing. I mean, when I'm looking for new tr tracks for DJ sets, of course I am, but uh, not in the in my everyday life. I'm more listening to like pop records and um, depends on my mood, basically, uh, probably like everybody else. Um, this week I've been, to I, I've been listening to um, a Canadian artist that sings in French and, and his new album came out last week and it, it's amazing. And so I've been playing this all week long because, you know, I just, I just like it a lot. So do you have any formal musical training as far as guitar, or piano training, any kind of that stuff? I, 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 learned, I learned a little bit um, guitar and, and drums when I was little but I quit really quickly. And so um, that's it. I mean, um, I just do everything by ear. Okay, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So the, you, so you it actually... Was, it, it was did, boring for me. It was boring. So, yeah. so w explain what you mean by ear, because people, you know, heard that terminology. I know what that means, of course. But you go in front of the keyboard and you just get, and you start playing like Liberace. I mean, how does that work? No, of course not. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not Mozart or, or Beethoven or something, you know, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I don't know how we can explain that, explain that. I just, it's like, I know what I'm doing in some, in some weird way, you know, I don't know how to explain that. So just, you hear, you hear a vocal and you can immediately tune in and just start playing the keyboard and know exactly what sounds right. Just, no, just, I'm I'm gonna have to 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 search a little bit, you know. It, it it takes me a little bit longer than a usual musician to like find melodies and find the perfect chords, uh, chords progression or something, you know. But this is something I like to do. I like to like search, you know. You never know um, what you, you you can come up with. To find to figure out how to sequence and. I'm gonna guess you're working with live Ableton Live or Logic. Should I, yeah, should I guess that? Okay. So, are you self-taught, or did you do some classes for this? What was the you know end end game for you to get become specialized in this? 
so I'm going to have to go way back to when I started um, playing records. I started playing records in 2007 or, or six, and I was 11 or 12 years old when I started playing records in my bedroom because I had, um, uh, I had just bought the uh, turntables of one of my cousin. Uh, he was kind of a bedroom DJ and, and he had um, a little record collection and he had, he had the turntables and everything. And I was just so intrigued by it. And, and so uh, when he didn't want to DJ anymore, um, I bought his gear. And, um, and I just started like learning by myself in my bedroom how to play records. And um, the same year, my parents met someone who was a resident DJ in a club right here in, in the north of France. And he quickly um, proposed me to um, teach me, basically, um, and, and make me improve my, my mixing. And, and, and that's how I started playing records. And pretty quickly, like a year on, probably um, early 2008, I started uh, playing in small clubs and bars uh, in in the north of France. So everything everything was pretty legal because we we made sure everything was legal because I was eleven or twelve years old and I was I wasn't supposed to be in clubs and bars at that at that age, you know. And I was going there to play. Uh, so um, and during one of my first gigs, I met um, I opened for another DJ who was pretty famous in the north of France. His name is Thomas. And, and um, he was, I was warming up for him. And I, I knew him just by name. Like I knew he was this big DJ from uh, south of Belgium. He was playing in this huge club called the Zoo Club. And um, I just knew him by so, name. So, so the Zoo Club, what kind of music were they playing in this club? They were playing like real house music. Real house? Yeah, house no music. No commercial top 40 pop. No. Absolutely no. Now people were going there on Sunday nights for house music parties. Okay. And, and he was that kind of guy who, um, and he still is, I mean, he's not dead. So <laughs> he still is. Um, he was always looking for new tracks every week and, and he was running a record shop as well. So he always, he always had these latest promos and, and, and records and he was playing new music every Sunday and people were going there for that. And so I opened for him during a gig and we didn't know each other. I was just playing and looking at the Describe what the club looked like for the opening. This is a big room for you, right, to play. So you're going in this place. Describe the whole thing. You're preparing for the gig. What was going through your mind? All that good stuff as a DJ. I can remember I was really stressed out because it was one of my first real gigs. I was 12 years old. <laughs> I wasn't supposed wow. to be there. And um, some People from my family were there. Some friend, friends were there. And basically, most of the people there never uh, heard about me at the time. And, and they were like, what the fuck is a 12-year-old doing here? <laughs> basically. And I was just with my fly case with, uh, full of vinyls because I was playing vinyls only at the time. And, and I was just there. Um, I had someone carrying my um, vinyl case with me because it was super heavy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was so cool. You have really yeah. cool parents. Let me tell you, you have very cool yeah, I parents. Know that. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah. And so people were looking at me like I was an alien, you know. And then I started playing and I was really like um, making sure the people were having the best time and, and, and you know, trying to... <laughs> Before I even get to that far, picking up the needle, were you shaking? You know, all Absolutely. that feeling. 
You yeah, know? I was. I was. I was super stressed out. I was. And Did so you I make started, any mistakes with the volume controls or anything like that? I, I don't remember that because uh, honestly, I don't remember. Probably that happened. That probably happened. But, you know, it still happens sometimes now. So, <laughs> you know, we're human. We're humans. So. Yeah, but at 12 years old, this is a moment of like you're going on a stage, doing a performance, playing on the piano. It's the same feeling. You're stressed. Yeah. Everyone's watching you. Why is this kid here? What is he doing? looking at you and you're looking at everybody with fear you know you want to do the best you can do and your mom and dad have all this excitement they're all happy all the friends are there and then you play yeah so i start playing and the crowd was pretty happy with what i was doing so i was happy as well and and then i saw this guy toma um come behind me and he was like uh sitting on the left and i can remember that really clearly like it was yesterday and we didn't know each other. And at some point during my set, he started filming me with his phone. And, and I, I thought, what, what is he doing? Like, why is he filming me? You know? And so I ended up my set. He started his. And after he played, we had a little chat. He came to me and he said, you know, what you did was really good because um, I personally think um, anybody can be a DJ. Anybody can learn how to play records but not any not everybody can understand the crowd and and choose the right tracks to put on and that kind of stuff and he said you you did a really great, great job and he asked me if um i was producing music already and i wasn't so as he had a real like um um how can i say that he was living out of his music for his whole life and so he he offered me to come to his place and and teach me how to make music so that's how I ended up making music. <laughs> wow. He said, you cannot be just a DJ. You have to produce music. Yes. You and know? that's very true, especially today, if you want to be yeah. recognized outside of your town. Exactly. Because otherwise, otherwise, you just work in the town. And, and that's good for some people. Some people are happy with that. Yeah. You know, and there's, I always say there's nothing wrong with wanting to work in your town and be strong in your town and make a name for yourself. But if you want to take this to a world level, the only way a world level happens is from the records you make. Absolutely. And the, I, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't back at the time, I wasn't thinking about it as a career. I was just making music to have fun for myself. You know, I was still at school and I had no idea what I was going to do. So, uh, you know, I had no ambition in making it my job. Wow. So he's the one that basically opened that door for you. Yeah, because then from, from that first gig when we met, I started hanging out as he, at his place every Wednesday after school. I was going to his place and, and he, just, he was just teaching me how to use Cubase and the plugins and how to make, how to lay drums and, you know, how to make a melody and, and, and all that stuff. And so uh, from that moment, I started um, working on my own as well. So what I was doing is, um, I was working on small demos at home and I was bringing them to his place on Wednesday and we were working on mine uh, to improve them and, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, he so, kinda, I, so let's put it like this. He was kind of like a teacher, um, mentor in English, you know, mentoring you to, to bring you to this level. Yeah, he was, he was, and he still is like my second father. I mean, we are hanging out all the time and, and we have the radio station now together, which we're, we'll probably talk about later. And so, yeah, we, we, we developed a real, 
really big friendship and we started making music together in 2008. So my first record came out in 2008. And back at the time, I was making more like um, Electro House and Progressive House. I was really into Prida, um, Dead Mouse, that kind of stuff back, back, back in the days, you know. And so my first What's record... funny is back in the days is not too long ago. No, I know. But it, I mean, 14 years or something. No, I mean, no, 12 years. 12 years. In music, that's a long time. But in, in human years, it doesn't seem that long ago. Right. Yeah. A lot of things changed in 12 years. I remember in that time, David Guetta was huge with his sound. Calvin Harris, all those acts coming yeah. in. Okay, the EDM slash, you know, I'm not going to say progressive house, but EDM was really the, the, the sound. The sound of everywhere. You know, and the music that we, we like or enjoy when it was really underground at that time. Very underground. Because most of the European clubs... And including in France, I knew Electro was huge because in France, it was all over the charts, all of the radio charts. I was talking to the record labels at that time. They're like, well, we're into, you know, um, the Dutch DJs. You know, that's what they were looking for to get records from. They weren't looking for an American sounding house record. That was, that like, sound like, oh, that's old. We're looking for this now. So you started in the in the in the field of electronic house, electro. Did you really love it? What was yeah. your feeling about it at the time? I really loved it. I mean, I and I still love like um Eric Pritt's productions. I think it's way beyond some other producers. He's he's just I mean, I, I love his music, for example, Eric Pritt's Prida, um, Cyrus D. All, all the aliases he has, I think, I still think it's. What about good. what about Wolfgang Gartner and those guys? I remember that guy. Yeah, I re, I, I was actually influenced by him. Yeah, Wolfgang, yeah. Wolfgang Gartner, and then there was some other people I remember hearing coming out. I was paying was, attention very closely to what was going on. Yeah, Wolfgang Gartner was making this kind of um, glitchy electro house stuff. It was weird, but it was cool at the same time. Right. It had a clicky sound to it, if yeah. I remember correctly. Because I was playing some of those records in my set. They would work, some of those records would, would segue very well and the crowd would get excited when I was. This, mm -hmm. You know, I always say when you play the part of the DJ and you're brought into a club around the world, they expect you to perform at your best and to turn the crowd out. It's not always about education. You also have to make people happy. Absolutely. So I have to say, you know, um, there's one record I remember Pride I had around that. Because I was playing, at that same time you are talking, I was the resident space in Ibiza. Uh -huh. So I was playing in the, in the old terrace. But the old terrace was covered at that point. Um, and I was playing some of those records from that time. And I remember it, I remember it very well, crowd going crazy. Like I'll tell you another one that was big. Swedish House Mafia was huge yeah. at that time. Absolutely. But I would assume you were really listening to those guys intently, yeah. very closely for the ideas or for that spark to get you to your next record, I presume. Mm -hmm. I should say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the first record came out in 2008. It was called Under the Spell. It was pressed on vinyl. Uh, so it was my first release and first vinyl. So that was that was something. That was something. Did you press it or did you, what label was this that took care of it? 
Um, yeah, no, uh, we actually signed the record with a label we knew from the north of France because, uh, as you probably know, uh, south of Belgium and north of France were really huge for uh, vinyl press plants and, and, and electronic music, basically. So we had a lot of um, vinyl factories around here. And so we had a label that wanted to uh, press the thing on vinyl. So it was amazing <laughs> like, to have my very first record pressed on vinyl. How does that, how'd that feel to have that, to see your name and your product and hear it on that vinyl? Um, it felt, you know, I mean, hearing the track on vinyl wasn't just, I mean, how can I say that? Um, the weirdest thing for me at the time was people actually asking me for an autograph on the vinyl. That was weird. Like I was a 12 years old, a guy just making music to have fun. And I was like signing, um, records <laughs> that was weird that was weird did you wind up doing more club dates because of that did start did you start getting more nightclub um calls from around europe and stuff no no not in europe just just in france actually north of france especially like i probably played all the clubs that were in the area uh around 2008-2009 so now we keep on going this is starting to blow up where do you go from here <laughs> so we uh, with the guy Thomas, uh, whose um, DJ name is Man of Goodwill, we um, started making more records together. So we were working as a duo um, as Man of Goodwill and Mark Lower. Um, so we had a few records out. Um, is the most important part? Wait, wait, wait. Is Mark Lower the show name or Mark Lower your real name? What's my show name? You have a show. This is a show. I always thought it was the real name. No, it's not. I'm, oh. I'm, my real name is Quentin. Everybody, let me reintroduce you. Quentin. <laughs> we have known to do as, now. Known as, known as Mark Lower. <laughs> I knew that. I just wanted people to know. I knew it was your real name. So, yeah. so he has a show name and it's a cool name. Where did the name come? Where did this name, how did this name happen? I, my name? The Mark Lower name. The, name the Mark Lower name. I have no idea. Like at some point I... You know, we were making music and I just didn't have a name to, to make the music. And my real name wasn't like, you know, it wasn't sounding really amazing for an artist. So, Quentin's, so Quentin's um, a hot name. Quentin, we have Quentin Harris. That's another New York DJ. I know, but my, my last name is like very French. And so, you know, it, it didn't sound really cool. So uh, I just had to figure out a name. And that's what I came up with. I have no idea where, where it comes from. Like I cannot tell you. <laughs> so yeah, we, we had a few records um, out together with that guy. And then I started really making music on my own with my own studio in 2012. So um, I started making records on my own from A to Z. And one of the first records I had done on my own was a record called Bad Boys Cry. And I had, this, I had bought this vocal online in a sample pack and I just worked something out around the vocal I had bought and 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 it's now my biggest hit so that was weird you know at the same time like it has uh, 66 million plays on YouTube up to date and that's just weird why is it weird I don't know I mean it's weird because I have no idea where it comes from like how how people got to know the track and you know that kind of stuff so so take us down the road did you sign the track to somebody else or is it something you guys put out, your family? What, what was involved with that? 
So uh, when I came up with Bad Boys Cry, I was listening a lot to uh, Nervous Records um, uh, tracks. And they had just launched this other uh, label called Nervous. N Nervous? How, how do you say that? There? And you are. And you are. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It was the other off brand of Nervous Records. Yeah. And they were releasing amazing music on the label. Like they had Life Life. Shout out to Mike Weiss and all the brothers and yeah. sisters at Nervous Music. Absolutely. Yes. And so, um, Andrew, I was Kevin, Andrew, Kevin Williams, everybody. <laughs> and so I was reading to Nervous Record at the time, and I thought, why? Um, I, I mean, I should probably send it to them and see if they like it. And it was my first encounter with a, an American label. So I sent the track to Andrew at the time because Andrew was and still is the AR at Nervous Records. And, um, and he answered pretty quickly that he liked the track. And I think we signed the contract the same day. So um, it felt unreal at some point. Exciting, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had posted a really short preview of the track on SoundCloud uh, in 2012, late 2012. And people were really like asking me about the track. And I felt like, it was a nice track. Like I was really proud of it, really happy about it. But let me ask and you something most importantly. You're just starting out in the music industry. How old were you at that point when you signed the Nervous Records contract? How old were you then? 17. Okay. I know you have a contract. Did anyone professionally, like legally, lawyer-wise, solicitor, look at this contract? Or did yeah, you I, sign I, it? I, I not really. I mean, I, I had an English teacher in my family and I asked her to review the contract for me, you know, and and because I, I was actually good in with English already because I've always always been interested in the English language. And when I was little, I was always like trying to find out what the lyrics meant of the song, I, the songs I was listening to. So um, I was already speaking English uh, pretty well. If I may say so, everything I sent to Nervous Records, I sent it by myself, like the emails and stuff, and and so it was funny. So technically, at seventeen, yeah, the contract is not binding. That's why I ask you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but it, you know, it was my first. I hear uh, you. It's exciting. Everybody's yeah. asking the same questions. Was he legal enough to sign the contract? I'm thinking the same thing because I'm listening to you talk about your age. When yeah. not trying to get anybody in trouble, I'm just talking now about a, a real legal moment because you are, you know, you're still under 18, you're from Europe, it's exciting, yeah. it's an American label, and I get it. You know, you always hear these stories of a record becoming huge, and then it, you somehow find out later they were screwed, they didn't have it correct, the publisher. Uh -huh. didn't so you were happy to sign the record. You didn't care about anything except signing a record at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, and it was out uh, in April 2013. And the record kind of blew out. Like um, um, it was signed to Nervous first. And then Head Candy wanted to sign it for some See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Here and, we and go. It, Head yeah. Candy, Ministry of Sound. They're all coming for the record. Go ahead. Yeah, but I, I was 18 at um, uh, June 2013, so... Right, but you're still underage when you signed the contract. Shame on yeah, you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but this shame, is the best shame. thing that 
this is the best thing that happened to me. You know. Oh yeah, no, it's great. It's a fantastic so, story. You know. And and I developed a real friendship with the guys from Nervous Records, and they've been kind of my home label for for as long as 2013 now. They're, listen, the label has a great reputation. They, you know, Michael, I've worked with Michael Weiss over the years on, on records and um, stuff. And, you know, that's Louis Vega's uh, yeah. lawyer. <laughs> I know that. And Louis Vega's done a lot of stuff as well for him. I mean, most of us who are in this house music scene, we've all worked with him, Nervous Records. So I, I know... I know the excitement of that. Look, I understand the excitement of, of a record deal. I, I get, I still get excited when I get a record deal done. It's, it's, it's another like having a baby and giving the baby to the next people to take care of it, make it grow, get big and tall, and become rich. That's the key. We all <laughs> hope for these children of these records, and they keep constantly bringing back royalty. We hope so, you know. Or if it's not necessarily the royalty side but at least you can DJ good all over the world from it, which is another bonus. Exactly. And that's, so your life now, Head Candy comes. Go ahead, take us on the trip. Yeah. Head Candy comes and we went on some very, very various compilations for Head Candy and other labels. And at some point it started playing on some radios as well. Um, and, and we have no idea how, but um, the track ended up on a YouTube channel that wasn't, it wasn't super huge at the time, but they uploaded the track. They asked us if they could upload the track. And then pretty quickly, we have no idea how, but people found out about the track and it started growing and growing on YouTube. And as I was saying earlier, it has now 66 million plays, which is, I mean, I have no idea how, how it, you know, how it happened. That's crazy. Maybe because it's good? Maybe because it's good. You know, or, or, maybe, or maybe the YouTube channel that uploaded the track um, put um, a naked girl on, on the screen <laughs> for, the, for the track. You maybe that's why. Porn for you, porn music? <laughs> you mean this is you making music for porn now? That's great. So you actually I don't know have... if it's porn music, but you know, you never, you, you never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we always, need more, we always need no, more, more porn music. <laughs> Listen. Everybody, we always need more porn music. You know that. And Mark's over here making you that kind of music. So when you're watching those dirty pictures, you can hear his good music, his sweet, sensual, loving music behind it. So, you know, okay. So the feeling of, oh, let's, let's ask the next question. This is really important. How did it feel hearing this music on the radio that you were making? All these places that you never heard your music before and seeing it written about. What's that feeling like? It felt it felt um, weird, first of all, because uh, the Bad Boys Cry record started playing in some shops all around the world, and 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 shops that were in my city, in my hometown, basically. And sometimes I was entering a shop, and I was like, "What the fuck? Why the fuck is my music playing there?" <laughs> you know? Why? Why is uh, it playing? Yeah, why is it playing? How did it? How did it? Um, did you yell? Did you have yell the owner? How dare you play my music? Shut it up! I hope you play royalties for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I was going to places and 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 I was starting to hear my music pretty much everywhere, and it was weird. And then some friends starting to 
uh, uh, friends from all over the world and, and all over France, they were going to restaurants and shops and they were like, I heard your music in the shop. I heard your music there and or there. And I was like, wow, that was crazy. And that's how I started um, having international gigs, like from that record. Really? Yeah. Wow. This that's is my lawyer coming, uh, calling. Hello, <laughs> legal. You want Mark Lower to be taken off? No problem. You take him right off now. <laughs> so anyway, now, what's your mom and dad telling you? Because you're still young. And here's the thing. I know they'd be telling my daughter, you're still going to school? You're going to college? What's going on there? Well, you, you know can't what? make money uh, with this. Now, I'm in the music industry, so I'm going to talk like a father. Now, everyone, listen carefully. I'm going to talk like a dad. I'm going to back myself away from being the producer, DJ, remixer, and label owner. We're going to talk like a father. I'd be telling my daughter, what are you going to do? What if you don't make it with this? Like, what, they, do they mention anything to you like that? What's going on in that, in that end as you're making all this grass? So when I when I signed the the record to Nervous Records, I was like, you know, that was weird. Like we were having dinner, and I told my parents, you know what, I signed it. I signed the record to a New York label today, <laughs> and they were like, what, what, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Wait, wait, the question must have been like, what do you mean you signed a record to New York? <laughs> yeah, you know. I so, don't. They must have said, I don't understand. So can you tell me it again? Going. Yeah, I was like, my daughter know, was I sent this track to those guys in New York and they like the record. And so we are signing it and they are going to put it out. And and I was like, but I don't know. You know, I, I, I just want to share my music. That's all. You know, I again, from that moment, I had no ambition in making this my job. You know, I was, what still was in the mind of yours in ambition. OK, so you're doing the music. What's going on in the mind? Like, what are you thinking you're going to do? You're going to become so a I, doctor, a lawyer? Was, what is this possibilities? I was still at school, like it was my, my last, the fun thing is that it happened the same year uh, that was the, the, my last year at school. Like, you know, perfect timing. So I was still at school. I was in a pretty basic um, school path and I was learning cinema as well. So I was learning how to make movies, how to write movies, how to, how to direct movies and, you know, that edits movies and that kind of stuff. So you were going to go after become the next Roman Polanski? Was that your idea? You were going to be the next big, big cinematographer, producer, I, I, Roman? I don't know, but I, I was thinking about working in that field, you know, probably in cinema or, or making movies or, you know, I, I had no idea. Or, or I was probably going to end up uh, being a, a cooking chef, a chef, a cook, basically, because I, I loved to cook. I still do. So, you know, yeah. Well, so I didn't know what to do. Cooking. We've had many segments about DJs cooking. And, and yeah. It's it's interesting how one works with the other. It's a thing. Yeah. Big so um, the, the fun thing is that when the Bad Boys Cry record came out, I had, I had my degree the same year. And as the Bad Boys Cry record was um, doing well, it launched my DJ and producer career. So I didn't ask myself any question. I just jumped into it. You know, I took my chance. And the chance paid off. Yeah. And so my parents were like, my, my parents were like, do whatever, do whatever makes you happy. Like, we're not going to tell you what to do with your life. They were pretty supportive the whole time. 
probably they were scared, you know, as well, but they didn't, they didn't tell me, you know. Big time they were scared because I'm scared right now just listening to the story. I'm sure they were. And and they never told it, you know, they they never told it to me. They were like really supportive and, and really telling me, do whatever makes you happy. And if it works, then good. Then if it doesn't work, you will have to find something else. That's it. But and what do you plan to do if this fails? Because you know they're asking the question, if it fails, what do you plan to do? Well, I, I told them I was probably going to end up a cook and that's it, you know. Or, or, I'm doing or, the same thing your parents did, I bet. Or the be a sound thing. engineer or something, you know. Something like that. Because you can't make money in movies unless you are rich and they're probably screaming exactly. at you and saying to you, are you crazy? You yeah. need to do regular work, right? Yeah. You know so, why that is? I tell you why. I tell you from a parent's position. Number one, everyone, when I left my mother's 17, same as the rest of the stories, like he's saying, 18, I said the same thing. I will be... I will make it. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I wanted to be this international DJ. I didn't even know about international DJ. I just wanted to play in New York City. That's all I wanted to do, make records. And I didn't even know how to make records. I was classically trained as a pianist. That's the end of that. Moving on. Anyway, they were scared shit. Because yeah, they probably. said, what if you fail? And you're good. And my mother, I'll never forget. She said, you're going to fail. I says, no, I'm not. Well, here I am today talking my mom, I'm, she rest in peace. I'm here talking to this man today saying, here I am interviewing you and I'm listening to your story. It's similar to my story. Almost. It's kind of like the same. But people are saying, follow your dreams. I'm, see, I'm seeing them write that. Yeah. So you did follow your dreams. I did. Yeah. And that's um, from the Bad Boys Cry record that I created an ambition of having a music career, basically. And I started getting my first international gigs like a few months later. What was the what first was international gig? gig? Romania. Romania. Bucharest? Uh, no, it was uh, Timisoara, which is an, uh, a city on the east of, of Romania. And this was my first, uh, my first international gig. And I played a lot in Eastern Europe at the time because the, the record was doing really well in East Europe. So, yeah, that's how it started. So now you're jumping in a plane getting him records together to go play in Eastern Europe because you're making yeah. music that works in that field, that area. Yeah. That music, that electronic sound was really big at that time in that area. Yeah, and 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 Bad Boys Cry was the first kind of deep house record I made because I went from my 128 BPM progressive house to 123 deep house. You know, yeah, that, that just happened, you know. And because that's that's how I um, that's how I felt about the track when I bought the vocal to make the track, so it just did happened. You have any, did you have any issues legally from that buying that track? No, and because that- the fun thing is that the the actual singer contacted me a few weeks later uh, when the, when the track was released, and she said, "I'm the singer of Bad Boys Cry, and we should make more records together." <laughs> okay, so now. Tell us the phone call of how that happened. Who, who's, what's her name or how did it happen? Email, what came in? Pigeon, birds, where did they come in contact with? Where did it come from? A lawyer? When the track was released, uh, my Facebook page started growing in terms of followers. And, and so I started getting 
messages uh, from people all around the world saying, we love the track, the track is incredible and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I'm an 18 year old boy making music, that's it. You know, I, it was, I was shy, you know, about, about it. And, and I got the message from a girl one day and she said, um, Scarlett Quinn. And, and she says, um, hello, you probably bought the, 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 the vocal from a sample pack online and I'm the actual singer of the track. So uh, I really like what you did with the track and maybe we should work on more music together. That's how it happened. As simple as that. Simple like that. Yeah. And she was so happy that that record was starting to blow yeah. up. Yeah, because anyway, she was still getting publishing on the track. Oh, sure. You know, so it was a win-win. So where do we go from there? Who brings who where? Would you go meet her somewhere? Did she come to your studio? She was from Brighton, um, England. And so we started chatting and I, I learned that her, uh, her husband at the time was, uh, do you know that band uh, Freak Power? No. It was, first, he, he, it was uh, Fatboy Slim's, Norman Cook's first band. Fatboy Slim was playing the bass. Yeah, no, I know he was that. I didn't know the name of the band called Freak Power. I had no idea. It was called Freak Power. And the singer of the, of the band um, was Ashley Slater. And he's Scarlett Quinn's husband. So, uh, you know, we, we started and chatting. Ashley Slater, I know, I know Ashley Slater, but I didn't yeah. know he, that was the band. Wow. So yeah. he, he was in the band, he, he was in the band with uh, Norman Cook at the time in the 90s. And, and he was Scarlett's husband um, when I made Bite Boys Cry. And so we started chatting, all three of us. And, and that's how we came up with new records. I mean, um, the first record on Nervous Records was Bad Boys Cry. And then I had another one with a, with a sample of... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going with... Question? Question? Here we go. So now you make the consummation with the phone calls, everything you guys now become a writing team. Yeah. What's the process behind you doing the next songs are you making them in the studio where we're looking at right now or did you go to england to work what happened so it was only uh from a distance like i was working the demos in my studio then i was sending them the, um, the demos and they were making the vocals over it that's how it happens and so, they, so she sang the stuff over in england and then sent it back to you correct yeah yeah so um, pretty quickly in 2014, late 2014, um, Nervous Record asked me about um, asked me to make a kind of album, and so I worked a lot with Scarlett and Ashley on the on the album. We had something like four or five tracks out of ten together, and and it was just amazing. I mean, we were making really cool music. It was really cool. So as you're making the demos, you send them over to Andrew and Michael Weiss, right? At Nervous, correct? Yeah. What was the feedback coming from them with the singles? Oh, they were they were really liking them. Like, you know, I, I don't remember them turning out turning down the demo, to be honest. They didn't turn down anything you sent. I don't think. I don't think so. Maybe if Andrew is, is watching us, he's gonna tell us in the in the comments. I don't know. But I'm I'm pretty sure he never turned down a, a demo. So he loved everything you were doing, regardless if it was terrible or yeah. oh, great. Okay. And and from the album, when I signed the first album with them, they offered me to be my management team as well. So you know, it was it was it was amazing. It was amazing. So you went from having no managing team being on your own, graduating high school, 
cinematography, the whole deal, changing professions, which I'm even realizing changed, jumping into the music industry. Now you have a lawyer and manager yeah. and an album deal yeah. all within six months. Exactly. That was That's a wow crazy. factor to me. And my parents were like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, yeah, like, she was making me on money and stuff. It was, you know. Wait a minute, where are you going this week? Like, they yeah. were asking you, where are you going? And it was why, like that. Why are you going there? Why? <laughs> you know, and, and, and at first I started playing in East Europe, so that wasn't that far. But when I started playing, like, in South America, they were like, what the fuck are you going to go do in South America? Like I was, I was going to go play in Brazil and Argentina. And, and they were like, what? <laughs> you know, it was, it they was called crazy. you to go all the way out there, right? Yeah. What's that like for, for a young guy to have that call? Tell me, tell us. I mean, um, when, when, when the album came out on Nervous Records, I had a, uh, an email from, from a guy from England that had um, his own booking agency. Uh, Eugene, I'm, I'm still working with him today, Eugene. And and he offered me to be my booking agent. Who's and this? Who's this guy? Eugene. He's a, a um English booking uh agent. He's working for the for um Fresh DJ's booking agency. Is that Fresh yeah. DJ's the same as Barry M? I think it's yeah. Barry M. Yes, I worked for them a long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I thought so when I saw the um on your on your resume. Yeah. Fresh ages. I wasn't sure. Yes, I know Barry. Long. I remember when they started that agency. Okay, so now you got Eugene as your as your specialized okay. booking manager. Yes. Yeah, and so yeah, he rings and, you. He rings you up. Uh, yeah, and he says you're gonna go play um, two gigs in Brazil. Um, you're going to go play. Yeah, which because means you had no choice. You were, you're going. You gotta yeah. go. The deal was made, and I was like okay, I never went to South America before and I'm going to go on my own to play, to play music. And that's, that's just, you know, that's, I, I wasn't real. I mean, I still, don't, I still don't realize today how everything happened. Now put yourself in your mom and dad's position. <laughs> Listen to this now carefully. Everyone's probably wondering the same thing. You I, tell I, your I, mom and dad, you tell your mom and dad, <laughs> wait, wait, you tell your mom and dad, I'm going to go play in Brazil and Argentina as a DJ, yeah. if you were your father, would you be scared for your son? Think about that. Probably, first. probably. Because the job yeah. of a parent is, especially you have never really left Eastern Europe, France mm -hmm. area, to go 6,000 miles away to a place that everybody knows Brazil's very dangerous. It's very mm -hmm. dangerous. Because you go down the one wrong block, yeah, I remember this. I was in Florinopoli. I played in Rio and at, 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 at Sao Paulo. And they would tell me, Lenny, don't go out without us. Please wait till we come to the hotel to come and get you. And we'll all go out together. Because if you go down the wrong street, they first of all, they know you're not Brazilian. I look at you. You're not Portuguese. So that's <laughs> number one. You don't look Portuguese. You look like you're not from Brazil. Same with me. I don't look Portuguese. So you stand out. So you're down on wrong block. You can get killed. And they would always worry. And, and I'd be like, no, I just wait. But I can understand. When was that? Like your gigs in Brazil? Oh, I went through the 90s. I went through the 2000s. I used to play a club called Disco. I played in Green, Green, um, Green Valley. Place. Yeah, Green Valley I played. I played at Green Valley as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Open air. That was amazing. Green Valley is still, up to that day, it's still my number, number one gig. Like it was insane. 
Like I found myself in that room with, I mean, it's not even a room, it's outdoor. Open air, it's an open air. Yeah. Room. And, and, it, and there was 11,000 people and it was my biggest gig to date. You were that people, 11,000 people to go see Mr. Mark Lower. And that's I felt, much. I felt sick before the gig. Like I Why? literally, because I was super stressed out. Like, you know, they called me um, two hours before the gig and they said, you know, this, the party is sold out tonight. And I was like, yeah, how many people are going to be there? And they were like, 11,000. I was like, what? <laughs> Can you say that again? And I literally threw up because I was like super stressed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it was crazy, but it's still my number one gig to date. Like it was insane. The people there in Brazil, they're so hot. They like to party and, and, I remember seeing fireworks blowing up over the top of the people when we That's were crazy. It's crazy. crazy. So yeah, I mean, and I can imagine my parents saying to like friends or colleagues or whatever, my son is gonna play in Brazil this weekend. <laughs> and That's your weird. friends who work at regular jobs like IKEA or the shop, they <laughs> ask this question, but don't they have DJs there as well? <laughs> I see that in my whole career. Why they bring you there? Don't they have, they have plenty of DJs. They just want me. You know, <laughs> people never understood. Nobody can understand why they would bring someone across the ocean to play. Yeah. But it was, there's a reason why. Because I was explaining to them, you made records. People made you famous because of those records. They wanted to have you as the artist to play your records and play the set. And, and, and thank you for playing for them. You know, the job was never the problem. It was getting there and getting home was always a job for me. Uh -huh. Always a job. The flights, the hotels, the cars, the aggravation, the stress. It's never the DJ gig. DJ gig is always fun. Unless you work yeah, with a stupid person. People don't see the, the other aspect of the DJ job. Like they only see, you know, people are always telling me, um, you're paid to have fun. And I'm like... Yeah, at some point I am, but don't um, don't forget that I'm all alone all the time. Like when I'm on the plane, I'm alone. When I'm um, that's in a the good car, point. I'm, that's a good point. You know, question you're now. you're you're always alone. You know, because you, you meet some people, of course, but that's not uh, necessarily people that gonna that are gonna uh, that you're gonna end up friends with. Did you see the Avicii documentary, Avicii? Yeah, yeah. Do you know anything what about him? Right. It was pretty heartbreaking, right? Sad. Yeah. People don't understand when they say we're alone. They think nope. it's all glamour. Can you, you know, tell them what your night is like going from leaving your house, getting to the airplane and going? What's it like for you? You know, what are you doing? Besides the gig, we know the gig is fun. The light yeah. is fun. But what's everything up to the gig and getting home? What's that like? It's... Right now I'm used to it, so that's different. But um, at first it was, I, I really felt alone. Like um, when I was ending up in hotels and, 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 and in airports and stuff, I was always on my phone, uh, checking on friends and calling my parents. And, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was really feeling alone. Now, now I'm used to it, you know, so it's, it's different. But still, sometimes I still feel alone at some points. Is it dangerous to say that things happen when you're alone or you have good control of your situation? Are you able to deal? Because I know some guys who get very depressed when they were on their own for too long. Um, 
You know what? Like a Vici um, show. A Vici show that depression is unreal. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. It was crazy. I wasn't ready for it. I'll be honest, looking at it from a DJ, I said, wow, I never realized this guy was that depressed. Being And meanwhile, he played how many thousands of gigs? They had him every night somewhere. But yet, he hated every minute of it. Yeah. That was, that's, that's crazy. Crazy. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I got used to it. Um, maybe it's going to be different when the whole COVID thing, thing is, is over and, and, and the gigs are starting to come back. Because um, when I started like my international gigs, I had my girlfriend and, and we spent eight years together and we broke up last year. And so when, when I was going on gigs, I was always on the phone with her. Now I don't have anybody to be on the phone with, you know? So yeah, it's probably a guy. You're a good looking guy. I bet all the women must love you at the gigs. I know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody have these crazy ideas that, you know, this, that, that there'd be so these big parties going on behind the scenes. You could do the parties, but you have to do the drugs. And if you don't yeah, do the I, drugs, I, I, then it's a hardship. It's hard. That's what, that's mainly what my parents were afraid of, you know, when I started, they were afraid of alcohol and drugs and, 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 sleepless nights and that kind of stuff. But the thing is that I never drank alcohol. I never had drugs. I never did drugs. Um, and it was just about the music, you know? And my parents quickly understood that I, I was just doing this for the music and nothing else. Right. So, yeah. they felt, so, they, so, they, so, so the confidence of having all their trust that you were playing the part of the good, good guy. Mm-hmm. You weren't going to make stupid decisions under an alcohol or drug and, you know, excite, you know, moment in your mind. Yeah. Because I've been around enough stuff in my time. And I watch everybody around me doing everything and I've been just shaking my head going, this is not going to go well. Yeah. This is not going to go well later. And it never really does. And some I of my saw, friends became drug addicts from it really bad. I saw some really big names like wasted on Coke or some other stuff and and they were making fools of them of themselves and i was like i don't want to end up like this you know yeah i don't blame <laughs> you don't blame. you know i was opening for 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 big names like in brazil or something and and the promoters at the end of the night they were coming to me and 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 saying maybe you should have been the, the headliner because your set was way better than the the coke head that played after you you know <laughs> The cokehead sucked. The cokehead, yeah. <laughs> La coquina. Yeah, but you know, they were, they were headliners. They were supposed to make the crowd happy and they were not because of the drugs. But yet they'll book them again. You know why? Because they bring 10,900 people there. You're they right. Sucked. Yeah. Don't ever forget that. People realize something. This is a business. Mm. The guy could suck. Yeah. Big time. I've told you, know, I, okay, let me clarify this and clear this fallacy up. I get these phone calls. Yo, man, I'm better than this guy. I can blow the roof, the doors off this guy. I'm great. Yes, you can. But here's the difference. Can you fill the room just by putting your name on the marquee? Let me clarify that one more time. Can you fill the room with your name? done i always get silence just like what you're doing right now yeah you're right so i'm not saying that i'm the greatest people 
Because I've heard people say great stuff about me, how horrible I mix. Oh, I've heard everything. I can't mix two. I can't mix two eggs in a and make scrambled eggs. I just go like this. All right now, but when I get behind those turntables, it's me, baby. It's me, and I do what I do. As Mark does what he does, Louis Vega does what he does, Dave Miles does what he does, Carl Cox does what he does, and we all do what we do, which makes us different. Yeah. But that's a great analogy that you said. The guy who played after me was terrible because he was in another world with drugs. Yeah. It's, it's just the way, it's the nature of the beast. And how many times do you ask when you come to play before COVID? Mark, can we get you some some drugs? All the time. All the time. How easy is it to get the stuff? Like, tell people, this shit, they don't understand how easy this stuff is. I, I, I went to some places and, and people wanted to shake my hands and they were literally giving me um, MDMA or ecstasy. That's right. They really? were shaking me. And, and you know what? I became paranoid at some point because even just touching the thing and throwing it away, I was afraid that the last, uh, the next day at the airport, um, the, 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 the dogs or anything were going to smell the drugs on me. And it wasn't even my fault. You know, I became paranoid of that. I used to worry about my records, somebody putting something yeah. inside my boxes. So I, before I got to the airport, I would always pull my records out and, and shake my cases because I was always afraid that I was going to have some sort of shit. Yeah ecstasy pill or some crap in there because people are so excited to want to give you something yeah i don't need to have anything people take your shit back <laughs> no i just like my having a martini i'm good <laughs> but the production is growing when does the remixing or should i say productions we use i saw names john michelle Barry and Kip, which is the BGs. I'm like, where does these names come from? Specialty record for Barry and Gibb. I'm like, where where does everybody wants to know where these names come from, these productions? So oh, um, wait, even before that, when do you change your musical style? That's the most important thing we need to know. What year and what happened? So to basically, you. I was making from 2013, I was making kind of Laid back deep house music, um, dance floor house. I mean, house music. I was making house music, you know. And then um, as I grew up, I started watching a lot of documentaries and, and, and reading books about, um, about the things I, I liked. And, and as I told you earlier, I was reading really to Madonna. And so I started watching like documentaries about her career. And I, I, I found out that she was friend with Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat and Warhol and, and all the New York scene, basically, of the late uh, 70s and early 80s. And that's how I became like really interested in disco music from that um, era and, and, and the art scene in general, uh, the New York City art scene. And so that's how I, I went to the disco sound because I started listening to a lot of disco records. Um, I used to like, um, um, I used to search for Larry Levan um, uh, mixtapes on YouTube from the Paradise Garage and, and buying books about, about disco, about, about the, um, the art scene and everything. And so that's how I came uh, 
that's how I learned about the disco sound. Larry and Levin so, would be so proud if he was here to hear that. He would be, oh, I, know I, I, wish, I, I wish I experienced the I know he'd be like, what? No way. <laughs> if I could go back in time, that's when I would go. Like New York, late 70s, early 80s. Just, just to like be part of that huge um, art, art scene in general, like both music, art, and visual arts, and whatever. Well, Andy Warhol was a big part of that art scene. Yeah. You know, he he led it, and they had the Warhol followers, you know, and Keith Haring. I mean, Keith's, Keith's pictures were all over New York, in mm -hmm. the subways. I mean, and he did, towards the end of the garage, he did all the 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 mural, you know, uh -huh. he painted his, you know, his, his thick figures, he put the stuff in the parks. He was everywhere, you know, but I could see, and he loved the music that we all love. Yeah. So it was around it, and it was amazing time. So I, I could actually say I remember seeing all that and visually hearing it. Visually oh, seeing it and hearing it, you know? But we didn't think like that when I, it was happening. It was just, and okay, New York was dirty, filthy, rough. Everything about New York was hot. Mm -hmm. The hottest place to go out, nightclubbing, you had great clubs in New York City. Oh, my God, a plethora of great rooms, great DJs. Of course, all the music coming out was hot. D-Train, Sharon Red. I mean, I got some of the records. It's funny you mentioned I brought this up because they are part of your landscape that you talk about that are part of what you accustom yourself to do. Did you realize Glitterbox was happening? Any of that stuff was going on yet? or? You were just looking into New York to do YouTube and stuff. What, what no, I was just looking into New York and just learn because I like to learn things. I, I really feed myself with culture and art and movies and, and a lot of stuff. Like I like to learn things every day. And so I was just trying to understand how all this New York City um, culture came out and, and, and everything. And so I, I heard my first disco records just a few years ago, actually, like my first real disco records. What was the first one you heard? Oh, um, hmm. well, maybe, anybody, maybe it was loose joints all over my face. This is probably one of my favorites. Quirky sounding record. Very oh, yeah. I love it. Uh, uh, so good. The bass line is quirky. So it's wild. Yeah. And so um, from that moment, I started um, I started sampling disco records, which I had never done before. Like I, 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 I was not working with samples, maybe only for vocals, you know, that vocals that I was buying online, but I was not uh, working with disco samples yet. And I started doing that, but I was always trying to, I was always trying to work with instrumental samples and getting new vocals on it like proper songs on it, not just use the whole sample, the whole track, uh, put a new beat on it, and that's it. No, I was trying to find the best samples from the tracks I was listening to and, 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 and rewriting new songs over it. Okay. So you try and take it to your, your vision. Yeah. Basically interpret it, take for what you, how you view it, regurgitate it, and make it into what? Mark Lower wants you to hear. Exactly. Yeah. Tell us that record that one of the first ones that you did that you did that with. Um, it was probably a track called 
um, where the part is at. It has this uh, Fly Robin Fly sample, the piano sample for, from Fly Robin Fly. Children Connection. Yeah. And, and I had... Uh, fly my Robin Fly, fly. <laughs> I up to the sky. Yeah. And I was just using the bass line of the... Of the, of the so good. I mean, it's super good. And so I, I, I had this sample ID, so I, I worked with it. And I had my friend Ashley, which we mentioned earlier, um, and I, I sent it to him and I said, Ashley, can you please make me a vocal talking about Studio 54? Like, can you talk about the people going out at Studio 54, all the famous people going out, uh, you know? And he came out with this great, deep uh, vocal, uh, which he has. And, and, and it's, that, that's what the track um, talks about, basically. What made you say Studio 54? Because, what, what, you know, again, here we are, we're just discovering disco. What yeah. what made you go that way? Um, I don't know. I, I think I bought a book at the time about Studio 54. And when I saw the pictures, and it looked insane, like I wanted to be there. And, and, and you know, I don't know. So did a lot of people at the time when the club was open, they couldn't get in. Yeah, I know that. I, I learned about that. That was a problem with that club. Not everybody got in. I, I remember um, Grace Jones telling a story on Jimmy Fallon a few months ago. Maybe it was last year when she when she uh, released her latest book, um, her biography, and she was telling that story about how she had invited Niles Rogers at the Studio Fifty Four opening, and he got turned down. And he was invited by by Grace Jones, and I, I thought it was an, an amazing story. And that's the night he went back to his place and wrote. Um, uh, freak out, and and the first vocal, the the first lyrics of the track uh, with the the guitar riff were "ah oh, fuck off" because he couldn't get in. I mean, that that's the kind of story I like to hear, you know. Let me share something with everybody. You guys, you know Frankie Knuckles. You remember that name? Yeah, of course. Okay, so here I am playing in Miami Beach during Winter Music Conference. It's around, I think it was 1999. And Frankie went up to the door. It was a Strictly Rhythm. I think it was our 10th anniversary Strictly Rhythm party. I was playing for that party. I heard someone come up to me and say to me, Frankie's at the front door and they're not letting him in. You imagine that? <laughs> Frankie Knuckles That's in 1999. They're telling him you can't come in the club. <laughs> you imagine that, everybody. How do you like that? Frankie was here. He tell you, I'll never forget. When I saw Frankie late, he's like, he's like, girl, they wouldn't let me in that room. I was coming to see you. I went, what? <laughs> I thought it was a joke when somebody came to me and said, Frankie's outside. I couldn't leave the DJ booth. I had a thousand people in front of me, whatever, 1,200 people. I couldn't go run to go. I would have ran out. It wasn't went to a music conference to go grab him. And and I was just like, even people who are DJ celebrities have been turned away from nightclubs. Miami Beach was known for that. Yep. I got Frankie turned away from a club. Frankie Knuckles got turned away. Everybody's going, what? Frankie Knuckles put that in writing. I remember it was at, it was at the Strictly Even 10th anniversary. It was I was playing that set. And I got the word back that he couldn't get in. Yeah. That's crazy. So, 
So that, right. and, and hey, listen, we weren't playing at no Studio 54. We weren't even playing at any hot, hot spot in Miami. But security people think they got that kind of power and they think they just yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there you go. I don't know if you know, know, I, like I, what I, he was wearing or whatever. I don't even know, but I do know. I got turned down uh, from a, a club I was playing at one night in, in, in London a few years ago. Like I, I was playing in a club in Camden Town in London and it was in the old stables. And, and I went there with, with a few uh, London friends of mine. And so we, we got to the entrance and the guy says, you cannot get in. And I was like, yeah, but I'm coming to play. Like my, the flyer was just behind him with my picture on it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm Mark Lower. Can you see that? Like I had mate, the glasses and everything. You're not you know? tonight, mate. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, you're going to tell that to the promoter then because, you know, you have to let me in. I have to play. I don't fuck all you ain't getting in here, mate. It right? was crazy. What happened to me in New York City? It went on for, for 20 minutes and, and my friends had to get in, get the promoter to, to come and get me. That was, that was something. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that's how I got to the disco sound to answer the question. We, you asked earlier. Are you sorry you ever found disco? What? Are you ever sorry that you changed your sound from the electronic to the disco? No, because I think now, and especially with the new album that's going to come out next year, um, I found something in between. Like I really found the, 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 the sound I was looking for. It has both the disco influence I like, uh, influences I like, and and the Mark the Mark Lauer signature sound, it has both, and I'm so proud and 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 really happy so, about what so I'm doing right. So describe it. So when if you were writing a description of this album, what what would you say that this album is containing? What was some of the things that you were going after when you were sitting down to produce this album? Right, in the new album. Yes. So the 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 idea for the for the new album started growing inside my head last year, probably in September. Um, because I had just I had just broke up with my girlfriend at the time, and and I felt I don't know for 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 the um, the eight years we were we were together, I wasn't making uh, I wasn't um, doing anything but dance floor music. I was happy in my life, and and I, all I wanted was to make people dance. So I was making dance records uh, and music that made people dance. And when we broke up, I just felt like I had to do something else. Like, I don't know. Um, so I started thinking about making the album last September. And I wasn't able to do anything from September to March this year because I was in such a dark place in my mind that I wasn't able to make music. Like I was, um, uh, I was really scared about my mental health at some point. And, and when the lockdown happened in France, uh, in March, uh, I had to find something to do with my days. Uh, so I started making music again. And at first I was pretty scared that the album was going to turn out like pretty sad or something. And pretty quickly, um, pretty quickly I started making dance floor music again, but with a twist, like I was speaking about, I, I mean, the new album is going to be about, um, sad lyrics at some points, but with, a contrast with the music, if that makes sense. I'm probably um, going a bit everywhere at the same That's time. That's okay. Yeah. You, you, you explain it the best you can. Yeah. 
it's, your, it's artistically your direction. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the, I'm really excited about the new album because I, I had the pleasure to work with people I, I'd never worked before. Um, like during the lockdown, I started chatting online with this guy, Lefty, who's a New York producer. And, and, and I was like, man, I love your music. Like, I really love what you're doing. And, and he says, we have to make something together. And I was like, yeah, sure. So we, we, we started looking in our demos we had together and we started working on the track. And then he says, do you want me to make, um, to lay some bass and, and guitar on the track? And I was like, do you know how to play bass and guitar? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And he's a genius. I mean, he's a real genius. And so uh, I ended up working with him on most of the of the new album tracks for guitars and bass. Oh wow! So, so you got you got, so you got that live that live instrumentation. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go back um, three years uh, ago when when uh, Novus Records offered me to come to New York for a week and work in a studio in Brooklyn. Um, they were doing this for the first time, and this is the first time I experienced working with real musicians in a studio and real singers in a studio. That was three or four years ago, I guess. And from that moment, I said, I don't, I don't want to work with fake guitars anymore. I don't want to work with fake basses anymore when I need, when I need a real uh, bass player, you know? I don't want to work with plugins for that. And, and that's when I started working with real guitar players and bass players, for example. And it was only like four years ago or, or three years ago. That's okay. Better late yeah. than never. Exactly. And so for the new album, um, it's going to go from, I, I, I went, um, I went out of my usual um, comfort zone for the album. Like I, I made the opening track is a, like a pop song. Like, do you know this band uh, Parcells? It's an Australian band. No, I don't know. them. It's, it's super good. It's called Parcells and, and they're this, six or seven people band from mm -hmm. Australia and they're making music with uh, I mean they're produced by the Daft Punk and they make this amazing funk music from 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 today from from you know it, it doesn't sound like old funk it sounds like funk from today and they're amazing and they were for example my inspiration for my my influence for the for the opening track of the of the album um, also I started working with slower BPMs uh, the, the opening track, for example, is 104 BPM. And I was used to make music for the dance floor, so 120 or 23. So I, I really started going out of my comfort zone. With the so you album. started making more emotional, down-tempo sounding music that people can enjoy in the comforts of their home. Well, I yeah. And I, and I think the lockdown got me into that, that direct, uh, direction as well, because I thought when are people going to be able to go to clubs again? You know, I have no idea. So maybe they, they want to enjoy the album at home as well. If they want to dance, they can. But if they just want to sit and listen to the album, then they can as well. Awesome. You know, that's how I, I, I view the album. Also, um, before my breakup, I wasn't paying attention to... I mean, I was, but not in the same way. I wasn't paying attention uh, of what the, the singers were singing about. Like I was just letting them do their thing, you know, and and from when I started writing the album, the album's music, I started myself writing lyrics, ideas, um, words, things I was thinking about when I was making the music, 
And when I started looking for singers for the tracks, I actually sent them all the ideas and I tried to actually be part of the writing process of the, of the lyrics, which was something I never done before. So, you know, because, it's, it's funny, I'm thinking about this just now, but do you realize because you're being French, your ethnicity, you know, your, you know, your background, do you know some of the best producers came out of France in disco? Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the French touch was huge. Constantinos, Constantinos, and there's a lot of the, Don Ray. The leaves are falling down. Ah. This guy is crying. Those are all French disco records. Yeah. Incredible. You're looking into New York, but here we are in France. Yeah, France that's true. its own French legacy into disco music. That's true. So, yeah. You know, today um, you're one of the young the French is- DJs now doing it. It's amazing. It's a wonderful experience to hear this. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited about the, the new album and how it's going to turn out. Really excited about it. So speaking on the album, who does all the marketing and promotion social media wise? Do you do that yourself? What do you, who handles that for you? As far as all I do things? everything by myself. So you're very hands on. You're very hands on then. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm gonna work with Nervous again for the new album because I mean, we've been working together a long time now and things are going well with them. And I'm so happy that the the new album is gonna come out on, on Nervous as well. We're actually planning the release of the first single right now. When is that jar to drop? When when are we talking about that? Um I don't know when it's going to be out. Probably before the end of the year. But yeah. And the first single is going to be a song I did with um, a French singer that actually lives in New York. Um, Adeline. Have you heard of her? Adeline? Adeline. No. no she, she's based in Brooklyn. She's actually Parisian. And she's been, uh, she's been um, living in New York for, I think, 12 years or something. And she's just amazing. She She made music with J. Crib, actually, that you have on the show next week, right? Yeah, I'll be asking J. Crib about it as well now. Yeah, and, and she's been working with him, with Jason, a lot um, over the years. And she has just this amazing voice. And, and I, when I had the track, I knew I wanted her on the track. And so that's the first track. That was my do. next question. Is it, do you like more of the younger, softer sound than the big diva New York sound? I like both of them. Depends on the track I'm working on. Like the, the album's going to have 10 tracks and it's 10 different singers. You have all kinds of singers on that album, for example. 10 singles are coming out from this album? No, we have 10 tracks on the album. No, I'm saying 10 singles, meaning are they also going to press vinyl or is it just going to be digital? Oh. Um, I would love to, to, to press a vinyl. I have to talk to Nervous about that. <laughs> See, they could be okay because they got to shell out the money. They got to put that money up, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they'll wait to see because that seems to be the thing that everybody wants vinyl. I get that constant question Can I get vinyl? I don't know. I, I, you know what? It's like thinking about pressing vinyl. It's like, are you serious? I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> Too much work. It used to be fun. Do you look? There was a time in musical history when a promotion was done and we gave out 1,000 free copies. 
between 500 and 1,012 inch as promotion. Uh-huh. Now people tell me they sell three, four, 500 maximum. Mm. Yeah. It's like, I know the numbers will never be what they were, but it's nice to hear that there is a vinyl market. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I still buy vinyls myself. Like, Are those your original 1200s that you bought from your cousin? Uh, no, I uh, no, no. Those are like um, new ones. I mean, not new ones, but I, I bought them later on. Yeah. <laughs> so as I've talked to Seamus, Seamus had told me you did remixes for them as well. So what, when did this remixing game start for you? So uh, you probably heard about Dr. Pecker on Glitterbox. Oh, I know him. Very good guy. Great Packer. Greg, he's amazing. From Brisbane, Australia. Brisbane. Yeah. And he was like charting some of my tracks on TrackSource all the times, all the time in his in his charts, and and I ended up sending him a message on Facebook saying, "Greg, thank you so much for chatting um, chatting my tracks. I'm so happy that you like them." Blah blah blah. And pretty quickly, we ended up thinking that we should make a record together. And I had this disco sample idea of an old disc, uh, Italian disco record. Uh, that I found out and and I sent it to him and he liked it. And so we did the track and we sent him to we sent it to to Seamus and Seamus liked it straight away. So um we signed the track and then it got pressed on vinyl as well. I, I probably have a copy somewhere there. Don't get it. On Relove Records, Dr. Packer, yeah. Mark Lower, Moods. I have that record. It's very good. Yeah, so that's that's how we started working together with Seamus. And that and, and was that you defected that record, or that's still just big love and Seamus alone without defected? It, it was big. It, it was before Seamus got um, big love into defected. How'd that record do for you guys? It it it, it was funny the story because uh, we didn't clear the sample at first. Yeah, tell Ooh. us the story. Bad, bad on you, bad on you. It, yeah, we shame didn't. On you. We didn't clear the sample, so um, tell us what happened. We got the record out, and in a matter of just like two days, it was top ten on TrackSource, and 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 the original label found out about the the sample, and they asked us to um, uh, stop selling it, you know, remove it from the from the platforms, and so we 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 tried to find a deal with them. Uh, we didn't care about the money. I was just like, uh, we, we were just, uh, we wanted to just get the record out, you know. And, um, and we never really found a deal with them. And what they did is that they pressed our track on some other uh, vinyl, you know, a red vinyl, without asking us or anything. And they put out the record with our names on it without asking us. So that was funny. So it didn't go further, but you know, that was that was the thing. Luckily, it only went that far, not to a point. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> did you get scared? Did you guys get nervous and scared, like when you had the the the, the, the email come in to take? Not really, because they were pretty friendly about it. What label was that that contacted you? Guys? Um, I don't remember the name of the label, but the the band was called Ago, Ago, and and I. I, I think I can I, I could probably find it, but I don't I don't remember the, the name of the label, to be honest. 
did they contact you directly or they went to Big Love first? They went through Big Love, yeah. And of course, they forward the email to you guys. Yeah. What is, and the question is asked on there, what is this? No, I mean, Seamus, Seamus knew about it. So, you know, we, we all agreed on that. And we were just going to like stop setting the record. That's it, you know? And that's what we did. So... And then just and then they put the record out as well, and everybody's happy, and everybody goes. Right. Absolutely, yeah. So moving on, so now you and Packer are, are a hot commodity. Packer's doing his remixes like crazy, of course. Oh yeah, he's you're amazing. Becoming, you're becoming more and more, and every day more a household name. Where do you go from here? Do you get any major label stuff? Do you start getting the bigger companies calling? What's the story? Um, you know what? I got my. First defected contract a few months ago, and they were asking, "Yeah, but wait, wait, I, I let me finish the story because you're, <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. Let's have, they take the congratulations back. <laughs> I hope I'm not gonna say some some stuff I'm not supposed to no, say. No, it's a please share. It's so we'll see. Quote if, please, if I please. get a call from Andrew Nervous Records at some point, I will, you know, I I I will know I wasn't supposed to say that, but. You know, anyway, last year during ADE, uh, we were in Amsterdam with Andrew uh, from Nervous Record, with Mike and with Seamus and some other guys from Defected. And, and Seamus was like, do you, have, do you have any records for us to listen to for Defected or Glitterbox? So, you know, so I sent them a few demos and they liked one. It didn't end up on Defected. It's going to end up on the new album, actually. Um, but anyway... And Seamus was like, um, we are trying to find a remix for you to do for us, for Defected. And they wanted me to remix that track, uh, Endor, Pump It Up. Which I wasn't a fan of. Absolutely. I, I, was, I wasn't absolutely a fan of the track. And so when Seamus sent the email and, and asked me to remix Endor, I was like, what the hell am I going to do with that? Because I don't like the original record. And And... And I didn't know if I should say yes or no. And Andrew was like, you have to say yes, what, no matter what you're going to do. And I was like, yeah, but I, I don't want to make a shit remix. It's defected, you know. And so I finally found an idea, an idea for, the, for the remix. And I said to Seamus, okay, I found an idea. Send me the stems. I'm going to try something. I did the remix. It was really like disco. And, and it was... Dance floor disco actually, and they really liked it, so they started promoting the remix in their um, radio shows and podcasts, and I started getting a shitload of messages about the remix every day, and the thing is that it never it never was released and it never will. Why? Because. Um, the uh, the Endor license was bought back um, uh, by another label, which I'm not going to say the the name of. <laughs> and and they I think they turned down the remixes that were supposed to be out. So did they licensed the record from Defected, or was it a, a legal issue that happened with the record? No, no, no. They they licensed the um, the, the record from Defected, and and I'm I think. Uh, defected doesn't have an, a hand on the on the record anymore now, and so the new label that has the license they turned down every remix that was supposed to be out. Wow! 
So uh, I'm still, you know what? That was something like six months ago. And I still get messages every day today uh, asking me when the, re- when the remix is going to be out because, you know, Defected promoted it. So it's, it's out there in some podcasts. And, and, it and, happens. And it happens. This, this stuff happens all the yeah. time. Yeah, I know that. So, you know, that was my but first. But it must have hurt your heart and your ego. A little bit because I was so looking forward to work with them. You know, so there you go. <laughs> and that bell you just heard, everyone, is Nervous Records telling them, shut up now, be quiet. We don't tell Lenny too much because 35,000 people, including the owner of Defected, Simon Dunmore, is watching and be quiet. <laughs> oh, fuck. Simon, if you're watching, we love Defected. Of course, of course we do. Of course we do. And, and, and right I- now, let's talk about it from an artist's perspective. You worked hard on the remix. Yeah. And and you knew it you knew it was right because you're getting verification through social media. Yeah, and you know what? I was like this is I mean as much as I don't like the original track, I still think it's one of the biggest tracks of last year for them, for Defected. You know, in terms of sales, in terms of radio plays, uh everything. And I was like, wow, they asked me to remix like one of the biggest hits of the year. You know, I felt honored. Yeah, because you know what? Also, your musical career and your DJing career skyrockets or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And I was like, this is going to open so many doors for me. Right. As you're doing it, right? You're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. in the big time. The lights are going around my name. And all of a sudden. They sent me the, the, the contract. I signed the contract and I was like, whoo. I was sending um, a text to some friends of mine saying, I fucking signed a, 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 a contract with Defected today. How you know? important is that? How important is that? That's it was crazy. crazy. I mean, it was crazy. When, when I mean, yeah, it was crazy. It was insane. I'm not desperate. You know, I'm not desperate. Uh, I had Seamus by email a few weeks ago. He was asking me if I had any demos for them. I will for sure find something for them at some point. Right now I'm focused on the new album, but when the, the new album is done, I'm sure I will, I will find something for them. Because I wanna, I wanna be part of it. Very important. I'm ambitious about being, being part of it. Well, you know, it. it's funny that me as an A&R person as well, we all say the same thing. We need to branch ourselves out with other record labels because it helps with your social reach, mm-hmm. your fan base, gets to know that you can be versatile and work with different sounds and yeah. different or uh, different labels. Very important. It's a good, it's a good place for you to be. Yeah. But you got to realize something with the remix game. Sometimes the best remixes you do never get heard ever. I, I yeah, I know. That's what I learned. It happened to everybody. <laughs> the remixes go in the shelf. The artists don't like it. It wasn't approved, whatever. Uh, record labels get sold. Records get licensed, like what happened with that record. Got went licensed, and the, and, the, and the new owners of the license say, I don't want nothing. I just want the original mix. Yeah. That shit happens. That shit happens. We got a big album we're going to be working out. Now, how do you deal with the no touring of this? You, you know, how are you going to be able to promote this album with no tours? Because the touring is a big part of 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 a promotion of the album, putting the dates yeah. on it, right? I know, 
I have no idea how it's going to go. Uh, we're going to put out the first single, I think, by the end of the year. Then we'll probably have another single early next year and probably the full album around spring, maybe. So hopefully by then, the whole COVID thing will be not, maybe not over, but, you know, less present. I, so let's I ask the next question. Do you believe COVID is real? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not that kind of like um, conspiracy theories, uh, you know. <laughs> do, you believe, do you believe there's a vaccination? Right now, no, but I, I hope there will be. I, I, I hope. Because otherwise, I'm, I don't know what, what we're going to do. Are you listening to your Macron and all the government officials telling you information? Do you believe what you're hearing? You know what? I don't. I don't. Look, I don't watch TV a lot. Um, I probably watch the news once a week, uh, and that's it. I when I turn the TV on, it's to to watch movies or or watch series online, and that's it. I try not. I think. What what I do think is that people. I probably think this is the same in in the U.S., but in France, no matter which channel you put on, they're just talking about that twenty four seven. And that's just not possible. I mean, at some point you have to, you have to not stop. I mean, this is part of the news, but you have to be, I don't know. I don't know. You have to step down a bit. You being of this new generation, the new school, how do you view America and all the stuff that's coming from America or from the French perspective? You know, share that with some of the Americans because Everybody always asks me, what are the Europeans thinking about how everything is going down? What are you guys uh, talking about over there, like looking at America? You know what? I, I don't really know what French people think about America. I think you, I think there are, there are two ways for French people to think about America. One, if, um, one is the people that went to America at least once and the people that never went there. That's it. You know? Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I think uh, what 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 I look to um, with America, uh, I I don't remember the question. I got lost. <laughs> I got lost. Sorry. Please ask me the question again. <laughs> the French perspective. We used to say to ourselves years ago when Americans came to France, they would always go, "Americans are so uh, full of themselves. Americans are you know so big and everything is large and big and fat." Is it truly taken like that from the French eyes looking at America? Are Americans really yeah. like that? You think so? Yeah, I, you know, um, I think French people see America as, I don't even know. I mean, from my perspective, um, I really love America. I love going to New York. Uh, I mean, I, I went to New York four times and I'm still not tired of going there. Um, I mean, this is the only American city I've been to so far. Uh, I was planning on going to LA and um, California this year in May, but of course, because of COVID, I haven't been to, to California. So I'm hoping I'm gonna go next year and, and visit more of, of America. And um, you know what? Um, there was the, the first debate for the US last, last night, right? Yeah, you watched it. Joe Biden and Donald J. Trump. Yes, sir. Yeah. I, what did you, you know what? What did um, you think of that? I watched it a bit this morning when I woke up. 
And um, the first thing I thought was, this is the best sitcom ever. <laughs> like for us, for, for French people, for French people, this is the best uh, sitcom ever. This is my phone ringing, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, you know, um, this is what I thought of the debate. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't belong to me. It's not my country, you know, whatever. But I'm just like really interested in what people think over over in America. Mm. Watching that last night, it's, it, it was just tough. That was crazy. I watched it for like 30 minutes and I was already tired of Yeah, you of can't follow it. You can't follow it because exactly. It's too much. The, you know, he, the president is constantly butting and stopping the guy from talking. And that's not cool, but that's how he rolls. That's his style. You know, it's like it's like if you were trying to explain something and I constantly interrupt you. Constantly That was crazy. Stopping. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to talk political because I know it's going to happen. Everybody yeah. starts getting angry at me because I'm showing my views. But I just say one thing, the whole system in, in total, r right or left side, it was a disgrace last night for me. For my, oh, yeah. a total disgrace. Total disgrace. Either it was side, like, guys, right the guys from the Muppets. Screaming, right? yelling. Yeah. I was like, let him talk. You know, let, let him talk. You know, that's what I kept saying to the TV. Let him talk. Ah. But it was insane. It was insane. <laughs> when is the second one? <laughs> the next one, two weeks. Well, we got 30 oh. days before the election, so they're going to get a knock. I mean, oh, yeah. I watch some of the tele, you know, some of the news reports after, because I'm big into politics. I love politics. <laughs> I think I should have been in politics in afternoon. <laughs> I don't follow politics. Music. I love music. Everybody knows I love music. Big music guy. I love doing it. You know it. Like this guy said, you know it. And I know it. <laughs> I love when he says that over and over. You know it. And I know it. What did I know? I didn't know that you let out. You know, you didn't follow, you know, the protocol from the CDC. I got nobody said that. You know it, and I know it. I don't know this. You got to tell us what you don't, what we don't know. You know, this guy's funny when he talks to the president. Sometimes you go, well, wait a minute. How's, how do we know it? We don't know the information that you're reading. We don't know any of that stuff on the ground. We can dream about mm -hmm. what we think we know with the government. There is so much secrets. We have no clue. It's hard to play the game when you're in the top of the, 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 the you know, the risers or up on the football, like watching a football game. You could scream at somebody and say, no, you missed a shot. <laughs> but unless you're on the field playing it, you don't understand what goes into it. It's the same mm -hmm. with music, same with whatever you're doing in life. You have to be in it, completely in it to win it. Oh, yeah. So. A couple of my questions I need to ask you. I can't say the old, old Mark Lower to the young Mark Lower, but I'm going to say this. The Mark Lower who is wiser of today, speaking to the young Mark Lower with his mom and dad, was there anything he would tell the young guy to change up to now? 
I'm going to be honest with you. If I had to talk to my younger self, I would tell him, go ahead and do the exact same thing because there's no, nothing I regret. Like I, you know, I, I made some mistakes at some point. Okay. Um, it was, it's always hard to, even now, I mean, I'm still um, finding myself in some um, phases where I think, is this going to go forever? Is this going to stop next year? Is this going to stop in 10 years? I have no idea. But the thing I'm sure of is that I want to make music and I want people to hear my music. And that's what I'm, that's just what I want to do. And as long as it works, then I will do that. And so what I was, what, what I would say to that younger self would be do, do whatever you, the hell you want. And, and as long as you do it good, then do it. If it makes you happy, do it. Can you share any tips with the up and coming guy who sat at high school doing what you're doing? Can you say to him, hey, make sure you do this or make sure you do that? Is there any things you want to share with any of these younger people listening? Yeah, practice a lot. First of all, practice, 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 practice. Even if you don't know shit about music, just try to find, I mean, today you have a lot of um, tutorials on YouTube, for example, so you can learn pretty quickly uh, how to use uh, DAWs or, or whatever plugins and you can learn really, really quickly. I still do that myself now. So, you know, I'm always learning. I'm learning every day when I work. Um, so practice a lot. Surround yourself with good people, not people that eat your soul, <laughs> you know. Um, surround yourself with, with, with nice people and uh, listen to, to your friends and your family and hopefully they will be supportive. Um, but be careful it. when you listen to your friends because some of your friends don't have your best interest. That's Remember true, that? but that's when you know if they're friends or not. Mm. So, yeah, here's a question for you. How many friends have you let go because of your fame? Not, not that many because um, when I started making music, I, I met some of my best friends in 2008 and we still have the same group of friends now, like the exact same group. We're like a group of 10 or 12 friends and we never left each other. And we are able to speak about everything together. We are able to um, uh, critic each other without none of us getting angry, you know? And that's what, all, uh, that's what friendship is all about. I'm so lucky to have the friends I have, really. If some of them are watching right now, I'm saying it to, to them. Um, I'm so lucky to have some of uh, uh, some of you guys around me because you know, it's are... funny. I took my daughter out for her twenty first birthday on Monday, and I was talking to her best friend and her, and her best friend and my daughter was saying about their high school group. Now my daughter's in her final year of college; mm -hmm. she's probably going to go on to her master's program. But she was talking to her friends, and they couldn't understand the fact that she had this group of friends from the high school that were part of the acting group. Okay, mm -hmm. and they're still friends today. Yeah, it's like super tight. So when you're telling me this, this is twice this week I heard this that they, <laughs> I, you you like my daughter. I mean, I have a few friends that are like that. Few, very few that I have from that era. You know, and then some, a lot of them are dead. You know, due to the lifestyle and everything like that. Yeah, but yeah. I grew up with and hung out with at these clubs. They're gone. You know, just because of. The, the heavy lifestyle of the alcohol, the drugs, and the promiscuous sex. But the um, you saying that is like, I noticed this generation has that. 
yeah. different than my generation or generations previous to me. Good on you. This is great. The, the fun thing is that I'm only, I'm almost only hanging out with friends that are like twice my age or almost twice my age. You'll be my son. I, have, I almost only have older friends. Like I, I probably only have three friends left from high school that are my age, but that's it. I don't, I don't, I don't feel connected with those people that are my age. You know, we don't have the same uh, um, common points or, or, or interests. And, and I just want people I can talk to about pretty much anything. You know, I want to talk about art with my friends. I want to talk about cinema. I was, I want to talk about, about shit. I don't want to, you know, I want to talk about music. I want to talk about books and, and most of but people my age don't talk about that. You got to realize something. Your life is so different. When you started traveling, yeah. your life opened, your mind opened up. Exactly. You don't have the same thought process as the guy that went to school with you. Yeah. He's having children right now. He's having, you know, thinking about house and his career at that one job. And like, this is going to be his job till he dies, basically, or he retires to the next uh -huh. Your job is thinking like, what new song am I going to be doing? What new club can I get to? Where am I going to go with this? Is this going to be on some big compilation? Or am I going to get a deal with a TV company? take my song you're thinking in a different world you're in a different place mm -hmm. than most people you know this is this, it's a different way of life the way we live this music stuff so salute to yeah. you cheers to that <laughs> cheers to friendship yes and thank you for coming on let's see do we have any thank you so much for oh i'm glad everybody somebody mentioned that terry hunter played a remix of yours of a twister joint it never got released i still need that joint i don't know what what twister joint that was that was probably the they were talking about me yeah that's probably the endor remix from defected <laughs> it's never gonna be out guys it's never gonna be out let's clear that up it's coming out next week in fantasy time fantasy records and you know what Someone, someone a few weeks ago sent me a message and, and I said to him, well, then the remix is never going to be out. And he said, but can't you take your remix? Because I didn't use any stems from the original track except for the vocal. And so he said to me, can't you take like the, the track you did, remove the vocal and then make a new vocal over it and release it? But I cannot do that, guys. I cannot do that because I'm still under contract with Defected. <laughs> so, you know. I cannot do that. What kind I'm of trouble sure. can you get into for that? I have no idea, but I don't want to risk it. <laughs> and make the label angry. Exactly. Yeah. I still want to work with them. So <laughs> not like it was a one-off type of situation where you can just walk away. You know, and, and nobody understands that. They think they think it's like, oh, you could just go do changes. They don't, they don't realize there's legal ramification mm -hmm. to making something like that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes people online just think that because it's your music, you can do whatever you want with it, but you can't. Yep. So tomorrow, you start playing your guitar, so you have a Fender Strat behind you. Yeah. And you're into white furniture in a very white room. Yeah, it's white and gray. Yeah. When do you think, when do you really think we'll be all back to normal again? How long do you think it's going to be? I have no idea. I think probably not before next summer. 
I think. I have no idea. Really, I have no idea. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I don't but know. you had one last thing I wanted to ask you. You mentioned yeah. you had a ticket for April to come to New York. Why did you stop? I mean, I was supposed to come in November. Okay? I'm sorry, November. Excuse me. I was supposed to come in November for my mother's birthday. She never been to New York. So I, I kind of um, told her, Mom, I'm going to bring you to New York for your birthday. So um, we were supposed to come um, in November. And of course, because of COVID, the flights got canceled already. So um, I was thinking to come before Easter next year. So we'll see what happens and if I can come or not. That's the key, brother. Here's the deal. Let me clarify this for everybody. I keep saying it every time. You can get on the plane and come to New York. I can go to Paris, Charles de Gaulle, get off that plane, and they will turn me right back around. That's the problem. You could get a flight. You ain't yeah. get no country. You ain't getting no country. Yeah. Sad right now, but we're going to get through this, everyone. We're going to dance again. We we're going to dance together again. Oh, yeah. I Mark's miss dancing. going to play music for you again. Don't worry. I miss dancing behind the turntables. Like I really like to dance when I'm playing. So I'm missing that a lot. Sometimes I dance myself just alone in my studio. I have to say. Are you being vigilant going out with your mask? Are you protecting yourself? Are you taking care yes. of yourself? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. When the vaccination does come, will you take it? Probably, yeah. Yeah. No matter what conspiracies you've been hearing about the chip and everything else, you will oh, be. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You'll be if, relaxed. You'll take it with no problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, w I would probably not be the, the first one to take it. But, <laughs> you want to wait to see everybody else? I'll be the first one to take it because I won't. <laughs> but, you know, if, if someone does it, uh, you know, that's, you know, I just saw that some of my friends are commenting on the thing. If you are real friends, my friends, you will take the vaccine before me and then I will take it after you. <laughs> That's, That's when I know you're my real friend. You want to tell me that you want your friends to show you the example <laughs> that it's fine before you take You're a nice guy. Just kidding, of course. Yeah, let's you by Mark Lower's records. We want to thank Mr. Mark Lower all the way from, so much. from France, breaking it down, making me laugh, schooling us and teaching us that a 25-year-old guy can make massive records starting out at 12 years old. That is so a story much. of stories. I enjoyed it, and I know everyone that tuned in enjoyed it. And this thing was, will become historical. But <laughs> one last question When you leave here, where are you going? And I'm not talking about going to the store. Where is Mark Lower going? Is he staying with the disco thing, or is he going to go into the house scene? Where are you going? Um, you know what? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just letting myself go and just I just make the music I want to make and that's it. I'll see what what I come up with. I just hope the people will follow me with it and 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 be happy to hear what I can do apart from new disco and house. For example, on the new album when they're going to hear um the slower tracks, I hope they're going to enjoy it as much as uh, as I enjoyed making them. So make sure you look at Nervous Records. Keep watching for yeah. the release dates. Stay on Mark Lower's social media. Send them all the messages. Let them know what you think of the records because it's very important as a producer and writer. Exactly. That first-hand touch from the buying public or the people that are Spotifying 
I post a lot of, of videos on Instagram and Facebook when I work on the new album. I post a lot of videos uh, from me working in the studio. Oh, come and on. I, That's 25 of your close friends say, I love it! I love it! I want to hear from the other people. A thousand other people <laughs> that tell me they don't like it. Come on now. Send it oh, I, You know, um, uh, and, and I really enjoy watching the, the people commenting on the videos and saying, wow, this track is amazing. I cannot, hear to, I cannot wait to hear the full track. So I'm so happy because you know what's super cool though about that? I always tell everybody you get on the spot AROing. So before you're even like you're beginning to get a track going, you already know if you have something exciting about it. There's some yeah. heat on the record, I call it. Like you know it's already in the right way. You could tell from the gauge just from how people start hitting the likes or not. Exactly. exactly. Is there anything? Did I not cover everything? I think I covered soup to nuts with you. I, I think we did. I think we One did. last question. Why are you wearing that diesel t-shirt, may I ask? That's just a brand I like. Because it looks it. very rock and rollish. Are you into rock and roll too? When I was younger, yeah. A little I bit. Knew it. And the and the tattoo is telling me like a it's got like this rock feel to you. I have I have this 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 one is a um the ray of light logo of the Madonna album. Um, this is a Jean-Michel Basquiat I've tattoo. never seen Ray of Light anyone ever have a tattoo of oh, that yeah. album. Well, there you go. <laughs> so this is a Jean-Michel Basquiat tattoo. I just did a Keith Haring tattoo last week right there. I, I don't know if you can see. We're not close to the camera. People want to see that. Oh, wow. Look at that, everybody. Oh, wow. Where's Benny Soto? Benny has his two. Yeah, Benny, Benny has a tattoo. Benny uh, has a Keith Haring he, tattoo. Benny's another great guy. Oh, yeah. Benny hung tight. Those that know, Benny hung tight with Keith Haring, worked with him for a while. I know that. And I only learned about it this year. And I was like, what? <laughs> and at the Paradise Garage street fair, him and I were dancing on, a dan on the street dance. And we had and one we had friend, friend that was friend very, very close. Both him and I, and I didn't know this back then. David Lozada, who brought me to the garage, uh -huh. was also Benny's close friend. And Benny had something similar story to I had with David. And it was like, brought us even closer. So when I when you said the Benny when you mentioned the tattoo of that I know Benny has for those that know Benny Soto works with Mike Nervous yeah at their parties and now I see there's some that new club that is being involved Quantum in Brooklyn as the old analog spot I know I don't know is Mike Weissen Mike Mike Nervous involved with that or no do you know I I don't know because I, I only saw Benny in the pictures with the sound system so I mean they're getting something together with that room. Proud of him. Benny's a great guy. Great promoter. Oh, yeah. He's knows amazing. Shit. Knows shit. He knows the game. He's around since the garage. He knows it all. I love that about him. I worked for him too. Great, great, great promoter. Great promoter. Works with Danny Krevitt. He's done some of the best parties New York's ever had. After everything. And, you know, he's one of the best promoters in our game. As He was as the first today. to make me play in New York. I knew that. Him and Rob. Was it Rob too? At the time, Rob. Was output. Um, output. Uh, four years ago. What was it? Dance here now? The Thursday night party? Uh, no, it was a Saturday. It was, was it like, was a nervous record. Yeah. Yeah, Saturday's a gay night. There was. It yeah. was insane. Oh my god, insane! That was just weeks before the the output uh, closed. Yeah, when Cielo and Output closed, when that yeah. was the end, end of another era. Hmm. And now on to our new era. We like to wish. I don't know if I'm supposed to mention it, but I saw it on Facebook. There's looks like they're building another room. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, I saw the pictures and I saw the system looks it looks pretty mean. <laughs> Hit up Benny Soda. Say you you heard Lenny say it. I don't know if it's true, but I did see some pictures in some room and some sound system. And I know who the people behind I saw I recognize a lot of people because I worked with all of them. <laughs> Next week we got Jay Crib. I'd like to thank everyone for staying with us for almost two hours. Thank you so much for True House Stories and it's already late for you in France. Wrap it up. Have a good it's night. Thank you so much again, Mark Lower. And good luck to this album. I can't wait to get it and review it and hear it. And I will rock it. Thank you. Thank More you so much. More power to you, baby. Take care, everyone. Have nice a great day. night, great day, wherever you are. We love bye, bye. you. Love, peace, and harmony. True House Stories. Have a good one. Take care. <laughs>